Welcome back to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. This is not therapy. This is real life. I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar, and I'm here today with Dr. Anya Schmitz to talk about avoidance. But before we get into that conversation, Anya, are you sure? Is there anything else you'd rather do right now? Would you rather wash your hair, clean your room, clean your bathroom? Are you sure there's nowhere else you'd rather do? (laughs) That's a really great question. Um, No, I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Um, To be honest, it is a little bit intimidating. So I might have had a little pull to avoid this today. Um, And I'm really glad I'm here. So we'll get started. Thank you for making it. You know that you're talking to a real avoidance, or shall I say anti avoidance expert, if you're able to um, make it and sit through all of that to make it on a podcast. So thank you for being here, Anya. I'm really happy to have Anya on the show because I consider Anya one of my most valuable peer mentors. This is where I'm going to brag about her a little bit, and I'm hoping she'll brag about herself a little bit more because she has such rich experience to draw from. But I first met Anya in the health tech space, and I'm hoping she'll talk about that a little bit more. And uh, we could have picked many different topics to talk about today, but we landed on avoidance. So Anya, could you share with our listeners just a little bit about your professional background and how is it that you came to be interested in the topic of avoidance? Sure. Um, So yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist and I got most of my training actually in Germany. So I'm originally from Germany and started out there um, studying avoidance more in the context of personality traits. So did a lot of research um, around personality traits that have to do with anxiety and where, you know, typical things that people would do when you think about things like neuroticism is like avoid situations that make make them uncomfortable. Um, so did, did some research in that area and then moved to the U.S. to um, do a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Institute of Mental Health. And there I worked on a large family study on um, anxiety disorders and mood disorders, where we studied families and, and were kind of interested in finding common themes that, you know, what people inherent uh, inherit from their parents that can show up then in anxiety disorders and in mood disorders. And avoidance is really a huge component in both of these large classes of of, uh, psychological problems. So um, a lot of what we do um, when we're trying to avoid um, psychological pain, whether that is anxiety or low mood, um, is is leading us to avoid, which then ultimately um, gets us stuck in, in a loop where the avoidance actually leads to more anxiety or even lower mood. Well, here we are on the Therapy for Real Life podcast, and as you know, the aim of the show is to try to translate therapy concepts into everyday self-care strategies that we can all use. So you and I are used to talking kind of insider baseball clinical terms, and we're already talking about anxiety and avoidance, and here you are, you're bringing in some of that past experience and and explaining to people what, what we really mean when we're talking about anxiety and avoidance. So 
I'm curious if you could share with me, what are the ways that people typically describe anxiety to you? I mean, I, I know I have people come into my office every day and anxiety is not always the first word that comes to mind. And usually that's the job of a therapist, right? Is to help them put language and understanding to that. But how do people usually describe anxiety when they first come to you as a therapist? So, yeah, I mean, the content can be really, really different from person to person, what they're struggling with in their everyday life. And most of all, it's, you know, people describe it as something that gets in the way for them of really doing what they want to be doing. So somebody, for example, might say, I feel really uncomfortable uh, in, in situations where I'm meeting new people or where, where I have to... Um, speak up um, at work, um, when we're doing presentations, or it's really, really hard for me to go out and, and find friends. So the first step is always to kind of look at what kind of thoughts, what kind of feelings are coming up for you in those situations that make it really, really hard for you to do the things that, um, yeah, you would really like to be able to do. I think something I'm hearing as you talk about that when you describe the experience of anxiety is for a lot of people, there's a real kind of mystery quality to it. I, you know, some of the examples you give going out with friends and family, meeting people for the first time, going for a job interview. A lot of times people will describe those situations with real frustration. Like why, why can't it just be uh, easier for me? And there's even, um, I don't know if you find this to be true. There's a lot of um, kind of self-critical thinking that goes along with that discomfort that you're describing, whether that's that's an emotional kind of discomfort or a lot of people will describe the physical signs of anxiety before uh, they describe it as anything else. What's your experience been with that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, when we're thinking about other things that people might be afraid of, um, like, for example, those physical sensations that sometimes come up or they describe it as, as having a panic attack or like really, you know, being paralyzed by these overwhelming feelings and sensations that are happening for them often people feel really isolated with that and like they're the only person who is experiencing these kind of feelings and sensations. So um, people can be like really self-critical and hurt on themselves um, and don't understand why am I suffering from this? Why is this so difficult for me? And kind of think like I should be able to handle this. This shouldn't be so hard for me. So they really try to not experience anything that's showing up for them internally when they're in those situations that are difficult for them. Mm -hmm. So help me understand how do people get stuck in that loop when you're describing that really um, uncomfortable sensation that um, people can have maybe there are certain triggers that trigger that ang that anxiety, whether it's social or otherwise. How does that how does that turn into avoidance? Yeah, so it's really the natural pull that we have on what we know, how we how we solve problems in the real world. And we're trying to to do that with our internal worlds, um, which unfortunately can really backfire. So if we go go back to, to our examples, like somebody might have a trigger that's more of a social nature, right? So it might be going to a party or meeting people for the first time. Um, so when they 
when they walk towards that trigger, like a lot of anxiety is coming up. Um, so their mind basically is labeling the situation as something that is dangerous and that they should get out of as fast as possible. So the fight and flight response, which I'm sure you've well, already mentioned many times on, the show. Yes. <laughs> on this <Yeah>. podcast, <laughs> is going to like really get going, which adds all of these uncomfortable feelings that then people in turn are getting really anxious about having the anxiety. So they're afraid when they notice that their heart is starting to beat really fast, that they're getting sweaty. They might fear that other people notice that, um, that they're getting anxious and um, that that they might not be able to think straight or that those physical symptoms might be a sign of something physiologically really being wrong with them. So mm -hmm. that fuels the cycle of anxiety. So we have a trigger first, then we notice that we're getting anxious and then we're getting anxious about getting anxious, which makes the fight and flight response go even stronger. Mm -hmm. So our natural pull is to get rid of those feelings and avoid those feelings because it's really, really uncomfortable and our mind has labeled them as something that's really dangerous and that we shouldn't be experiencing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when we do that, when we then avoid social situations, um, avoid going to those parties, avoid meeting new people, we don't have a chance to learn what would actually happen if we put ourselves into that situation. And if we're able to um, sit with those feelings, if we're able to actually tolerate the distress that's coming up uh, in those situations. The way that you're describing fight or flight to me really sounds like the way you would describe an old, outdated iPhone that has really old technology that made sense at the time when the iPhone was first invented. But let's say you leave that iPhone on the shelf and you know, every quarter a new iPhone update comes out, but you are not updating that information. So your old technology, that fight or flight is responding as if there was a tiger or a bear in the room, but you don't have the updates to know, actually, this is modern society. And we have other ways to solve our problems besides running away. So what can you share with our listeners, Anya, about some of the best ways to avoid avoidance? How do you break, <laughs> how do you break that cycle and actually do the things that are important to you, right? Because people, you know, this show talks a lot about burnout prevention. And um, when we talk about burnout prevention, you know, what you want to make sure you don't burn out from depends on what's important to you. So we can't avoid the things that are important to us? How do we break that loop? Yeah, first of all, I really love that analogy of the um, of the iPhone and um, that that the software is a little outdated. Um, so yeah, as I'm sure you've you've already, you know, in the context of like talking about the fight and flight response explained is like how that's like a really, really Asian response that um, yeah, is designed to keep us safe, but the method it's trying to do that in our modern world is not really the most effective way of dealing with that. Um, so yeah, it's a really good question of like, 
how do we break that loop of avoidance? So the first, the first step is really creating awareness um, around what is happening to you and learning how to observe yourself um, from a from a little distance to you know take take a step back and um, get a little curious around like okay what kind of thoughts are actually coming up for me in this situation what am i what am i really afraid of is going to happen um and what kind of feelings and what are, what kind of sensations are coming with them and then we can do a lot of education around for some people it's already really really helpful to know how the fight and flight response works and that that is like a really natural and normal thing that's kicking in even if it's not what we really need in the situation because as you said mm -hmm. there is no bear we need to run away from or mm -hmm. fight mm -hmm. in that moment but just knowing okay this is just my fight and flight response kicking in this is just this Asian part of my brain, the amygdala, um, that's running the program of I am in danger and we need to do something about it. And just to give a name, one of the, you know, one way um, to describe the skill, dialectical behavior therapy would call the skill you're using right now called cope ahead, which is basically uh, a therapist's way of saying sports psychology. Um, because when you think of how great uh, sports um, players play their games, they sit around and they imagine what the game's going to look like first. And they're not imagining that the pitcher is going to throw them the easiest pitch in the world. They're imagining, no, they're going to send me a, a curveball and it's going to be really hard. And I'm going to have my heart pounding out of my chest. So I know that's going to be hard. And you're planning your response. So when anxiety comes up and you're really un uncomfortable, you're not going to be surprised by that. So what are the skills that people can use once they recognize the signs of anxiety popping up and they know, okay, this is totally normal, but I'm still freaking out. What do I do about it? Right, right. Um, so, so once you, once you notice that anxiety is showing up and you've made that decision is, this just my anxiety response that's kicking in or is there a real problem that we need to be solving um, then you can learn how to actually go towards anxiety instead of avoiding it because every single time you avoid those internal feelings you're basically teaching your mind this is really a problem this is really something dangerous so we want to break that loop that um, you're reinforcing the idea that anxiety itself is something that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So we call that um, exposure, which we can do in a planned way, or we can also um, notice that when it's just happening to us throughout our lives. So mm -hmm. the anxiety just comes up in a situation that's that's difficult for you, something that life is throwing at you. Mm -hmm. You make that decision, um, is this anxiety or is it a problem that I need to be solving? If it's a problem you need to be solving, you can go and take that action. If you've decided this is anxiety, um, you can learn how to bring acceptance to that and float and feel that feeling. So mm -hmm. you try to stay with your internal experience. You try to not push it away. You're trying to not um, rationalize or engage in a discussion with your anxiety. You're so just letting it be there. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really important. I want to break down what you're saying a little bit more because when you say exposure, right? I think a lot of people at this point have heard, uh, you know, they have a basic understanding of exposure therapy. So I might be afraid of spiders. And so exposure therapy would help me first look at pictures of spiders, talk about spiders, maybe start watching movies about spiders. And eventually, if I'm really brave and want to get over this phobia, I might hold that spider in my hand. In, in the examples we're talking about here with really uncomfortable feelings, we're not talking about holding spiders. We're talking about holding really uncomfortable and sometimes painful internal sensations and feelings. And what we're really describing, you're the one who, you know, as part of your peer mentorship, has taught me so much about this. You're, you're describing experiential avoidance. And what we know about experiential avoidance is when, when you avoid part of your experience, you end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? When you throw out those uncomfortable sensations, you end up avoiding your life, right? So when we're talking about exposure, that's a clinical way of saying showing up for your life, whatever, whatever that is. And I have a recent example to draw from, but Anya, I'm sure you can think of 10 more among the clients that you see. I just went on uh, my second, I can't believe I did it again. I'm a little proud of myself, (laughs) humble brag here. I went on my second five-day silent retreat. And for me, that was a huge dose of exposure. And the the biggest thing I was exposing myself um, to in the beginning was boredom. It was just straight up boring. And yet, when I built that endurance, sitting there in in quiet for five days, wow, I did learn a lot about myself. There were a lot of thoughts and feelings and memories and sensations that came up in that time that I would not have had the chance to get to know about myself. Um, So we're not talking about five days of silent retreats. That's maybe uh, too much (laughs) for some folks, and especially some of these uncomfortable feelings that we're talking about. But um, how do you do mini micro exposure or, um, you know, you're describing a sensation of going towards rather than going away, which is a sign of that fight or flight. How might you channel that idea of going towards? How would someone do that in a really practical way? That's yeah, that's a really good question. And it always depends on what your mind is throwing at you, basically. So um, so if we imagine again that somebody is afraid of those of those social situations, we um, we can plan exposures um, based on what they're afraid is going to happen when they do that. And we can we can make a hierarchy, basically. And um, as you said, think ahead of, okay, what and how much of those uncomfortable feelings of that anxiety is going to show up when you're putting yourself into um, different situations. And we can um, really write that down and in all the details, what we what we want to be doing, um, and then commit to doing that action that we, we like to start in a place that's, you know, where we say like, okay, on a, on a scale from one to 10, what would, you know, bring you at about a six of 
your worst anxiety that you can imagine. Um, and then we practice going into those situations. So that's really inviting the anxiety in. We expect it to show up. And actually, if you would come back uh, the next session and would tell me like, Anya, I didn't feel any anxiety. Isn't this amazing? I would be like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's like nice to hear that your feared consequences didn't come true or that you didn't feel as much anxiety. But actually, I'm really bummed out for you because you didn't get to practice. Um, and you have to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we'll have to find a different place for you where you can actually get that practice of intentionally um, bringing anxiety in and, and really inviting it in and being like, yep, I'm going to seek you out. I'm going to go with you on a little field trip and we're going to go to this party together. You can even like imagine it as, um, as a little monster um, or a little person mm -hmm. that you have sitting on your shoulder <laughs> while you're going into that situation. Um, and you can kind of see, you know, what's anxiety going to throw at you? What kind of thoughts is it going to, um, to articulate? Um, and and um, how can you respond to that in a really helpful and effective way? Mm, I really like the way that you describe that. It's it's kind of like the difference between anxiety management and really you're describing a kind of anxiety acceptance. Where Absolutely. does acceptance come into this for you? Absolutely. So um, as you said, like, anxiety management is something that actually a lot of people come in with and, and tell me like, I want to, I want to know how to manage all those feelings and sensations. And people have tried a lot of things in terms of lifestyle changes, taking medication, avoiding caffeine, um, doing more exercise, and all these things can be really, really helpful in, in getting your baseline anxiety down and it's not going to really get rid of the anxiety because you're still getting caught up in that loop of avoidance and you're actually using them as weapons against the anxiety. And there's always a point where that stops working. Mm -hmm. So um, we call that paradoxical effort. The more effort we're putting into getting rid of the anxiety, the more it's going to show up. And that's actually true for a lot of feelings that we experience as being uncomfortable. So all of those sensations and feelings that can be anger, for example, also, the more we're trying to get rid of that and push that away, the stronger it's going to come back. So avoidance uh, at excuse me, acceptance mm -hmm. is, is really the key here um, that can help you gain a whole different relationship to your anxiety and to your anger or other uncomfortable feelings that are showing up for you. Um, so when it's showing up, it's actually not that distressing anymore. I really like the way that you describe that. So I know that um, you are a very busy person. And in fact, just a few moments from now, you're going to run into your next session. So I don't want to take too much of your time. But um, I do want to ask your advice about something. If people are listening to the show and they're trying to get a better understanding of avoidance patterns in their own life, and they're maybe thinking about going to therapy for the first time, but they're not sure if they're quite ready. They're 
kind of on the fence, what would you encourage them to think about or know or understand about starting uh, the therapy process uh, if they're still feeling unsure? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really good, uh, good question. Um, I mean, first of all, I would want people to know that they're really not alone. Um, often anxiety can be a really isolating experience. And just knowing that there are lots of other people out there that can really relate to that experience and feel trapped in the same way um, can, be, can be really helpful to also bring some compassion to your own experience. So it's, it's really, really common, and it's, it's something that many people experience, and it's one of the most treatable conditions um, that we know in terms of psychological suffering. So we have really, really good tools to help people who um, experience excessive anxiety, who really feel trapped by their anxiety and, and getting trapped in that loop of anxiety and avoidance. Mm -hmm. um, so there are really, really effective ways of, of helping you. Thank you, Dr. Anya Schmitz, for sharing all your expertise. I think you've done a great job illuminating anxiety and avoidance. I think we all can understand, okay, that's something that we can all relate to, and it's good to put a word to it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Anna, for having me. As I said, I had a little bit of anxiety before we started. Like, ooh, it's my first podcast. It's a little intimidating. Um, and yeah, I so appreciate you inviting me. And it was really, really fun to talk with you about anxiety and avoidance. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. If you have questions about self-care resources or questions about therapy, feel free to visit therapyforreallife.com. Did you know that Therapy for Real Life offers burnout prevention hackathons for the workplace? I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar, and I'm happy to announce that Therapy for Real Life now comes to your workplace to offer therapy concepts adapted into self care strategies that you can use on the job. As you know, Therapy for Real Life is a Bay Area-based burnout prevention counseling program. But now you don't have to participate in the therapy programs to learn what happens in therapy. If you're a listener of the Therapy for Real Life podcast, you know that I'm a big advocate of teaching people the strategies that work for them to manage stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression in their lives. Not everyone can make it to therapy. Managers and HR professionals are well aware that stress is at an all-time high in the workplace. Wouldn't you like to equip your staff with self-care strategies to help them manage stress on the job? Therapy for Real Life's Burnout Prevention Hackathons give staff a fun and interactive way to learn research back self-care strategies on the job. As your facilitator, I will come in and present relaxation strategies, cognitive coping exercises, and examples of mindfulness that your staff can pick from 
and practice in the workshop to see what works best for them. Teacher, staff, and coworkers not only ways to take care of themselves on the job, but create that culture of self-care and teamwork together. Find out more about hosting a burnout prevention hackathon at your workplace by going to therapyforreallife.com and selecting the workshops page or emailing me directly at therapy at annacedar.com. That's therapy at A-N-N-A-C-E-D-A-R.com. I look forward to being in touch. Have a great day. 